0: I'm going to go ahead and jump into it. We are in our second message in a series. Uh, we're calling "We the Church," and and this second one I'm going to call "Conquer." Last week we covered the aspect of the fact that we the Church we worship up, but we conquer down. We reach out and we edify within. This mic's still just a little bit hot, guys. Um, but here's the thing: when we talk about the Church, we the Church, we are not just a building. We're not just an organization but we are a body of people that have been called out from this world. Ekklesia is the Greek word for the church. Jesus has called us out of the darkness of this world and brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of of his Son. And so now we we are a body of believers made up in whom the presence of God himself dwells. The Spirit of God lives and dwells in each one of us, and we corporately are the church. And the beautiful thing is, is it's not that just City of Hope is the church. We got got another pastor from another church here this morning, my good friend Cody Powell. I got a text from another, another church, a pastor this morning who's preaching this morning in another city just then because I told a guy to go to his church because I knew that he would minister to him. He said, I met him, I prayed for him, he's doing good. So you know what, here's the thing, we're not just one building this is not just city of hope church we are corporately the church we are the body of believers that extends throughout the world to preach the gospel truth of jesus christ so that people can come out of that same darkness we were in and be brought back into this light Now here's the thing, the church, as you well know, is always broken and it's very popular, especially nowadays it's trendy to sort of beat up on the church and talk about how much uh, uh, trash the church is. But listen, I've, I've got a high view of the church. I believe Jesus has a high view of the church because he calls the church his bride. He washes her with the water of his word. He's looking for a bride that is without spot and without blemish. And he is the one that is going to make us so. But we have a high view of the church. We recognize that the church is flawed, that it's broken. And here's what we say all the time. Look, if, if, if you're looking for a perfect church and you find one, don't go because you will mess it up. Amen. That's just facts. You're not going to find a perfect church. And, and, and sadly, what happens nowadays is we tend to gather more around preference than we do around truth. We tend to gather more around preference than we do around Jesus. And whether you like this style of music or you like hymns or whether you like a building to look like this or a building to look like that, at the end of the day, all that stuff falls flat on the ground because we meet around the name Jesus Christ, and we are the church. So Acts 2.47, I read this last week, but it says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. See, here's the thing. Not only have I been saved by the grace of God, but I am currently being saved, and the church is where I am being saved. I want you to understand that because a lot of people say, well, you know, me and Jesus got our own thing going. I don't really believe in organized religion. I think it's gotten bad. No, Jesus, when he saves you by the grace of God, you put your faith and your trust in him. You are justified, declared righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. But when you are saved, you are currently being saved and sanctified by the work of God in your life. And if you are saved, he has added you to the church, and that is an indicator that you are currently being saved. See, when you are not planted and rooted in the body of Christ, you ain't got to go here, but you've got to be connected somewhere to a body of believers who are gathering around the Word of God and His truth because that is the place in which your salvation is continuing and ongoing. And when you remove yourself from the body of Christ, you may be saved, but you are not currently in the process of being saved, if that makes sense for anybody. Because see, when we get saved, we don't just say, well, thank God I got that done, said the prayer, now I can go do what I want to. No, we are becoming more like Jesus And we do that in fellowship with believers as we center around Jesus and worship and glorify His name. So the church is essential, the church is important, and the visibility of salvation is a transformed life and seeing who God has planted in the church. I know when God's really transformed somebody's life because I start to see the evidence, the fruit, transformed character, a new heart. They went from hating people to loving people. They went from being unforgiving people to forgiving people. They went from having addictions and hang-ups to saying, I don't want these things in my life anymore. But also, they want to get connected and serve the local body of believers. They want to be participants In this thing we call church now like I said I had a bad view of the church here's the thing when you're being run by the devil you usually have a bad view of the church amen because he hates it because he knows that if the church ever finds out who they truly are it's gonna spell my defeat if those people who are called by the name of Jesus and meet on Sunday mornings and lift up their hand in worship, if they ever find out who they truly are in Christ, it's going to spell my defeat. So what I need to do is keep them from finding out who they are and keep anybody else on the outside from getting involved in that. That's what he wants to do. And so he is constantly pushing back against that. But i got to tell you, for me, I was once enslaved by Satan. I was once enslaved by the powers of darkness. And I had addictions. And Jesus came into my life and he set me free. And I wasn't interested in going to church. But when the Spirit of God got a hold of my life, he said, Son, I'm planting you in a church. And I got to be honest with you, I don't even feel like I got to pick that church. I feel like the Lord sent me to that church for that time. And as a Christian, I have been a a member in three different churches now. And in those three different churches, we've had our ups, we've had our downs, I've had good relationships, I've had some bad ones, we've had some disagreements. But in each of those, I've learned service, I've learned sacrifice, I've learned how to build loving relationships, I've met people who loved me when I was even at my worst. I've seen set people. People free it's the place where I came every week to hear the Word of God and be convicted the church was the first place I ever walked into where somebody boldly proclaimed the Word of God and I was convicted enough to say I am a sinner in need of God's grace it don't just happen everywhere and this is why the church is important amen but again It's not a building. We can take all of that into the streets. We can take all of that into our home because we meet here and we celebrate what Jesus is doing, what he has done, and who he is, but we take that out to the people in the world. So there's four roles of the church that we've been covering, like I said. We worship up. We conquer down. That's our relationship with the devil. Our relationship with God is we worship God. Our relationship with the devil is that we've been sent here as the body of Christ to conquer him and to demonstrate his defeat in the earth. Our role with the world is that we are to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our role with one another is we are to be building one another up, edifying and encouraging and strengthening, strengthening one another throughout this. So our first role is primarily worship. And a lot of times that's why we come in here. And the first thing that we do is we begin to sing praises unto God. And we talked about that last week. And I'm telling you, at the end of that service last week, I felt like something broke loose for some people. I felt like some people said, you know what, I'm going to shake this stuff off. I'm actually going to engage in worship. And I want to tell you something. We got one of the best worship teams I've ever been blessed to witness. But the fact of the matter is it's not even about their gifts and talents. It's about the fact that we come here together to engage with the God who is over all. And let me tell you something, everybody, if you sit in your seat and never lift a hand, every person on the planet is a worshiper. It's not a a question of whether you worship, it's a question of what you worship. And sometimes being unwilling to sing and lift your hand to the Lord just demonstrates that your worship is on something else. More often times than not, your worship is of yourself. Amen. But see, everybody worships and everybody is becoming what they worship. But our first role is primarily to worship God. But secondly, from that place of worship, from that place of a relationship with God, we conquer downward. We realize that we have an enemy in this earth that has been out since the beginning of time. Since man was placed here on this planet, we have had an enemy of our souls that wants to see nothing less than our destruction and ultimately our death and our separation from God eternally. That's what he wants to see, and we have to be aware of that as the church. I learned early in my, I don't know where it, if, you, if you know anything about this, some people... I've heard people even say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the devil. You can't believe in Jesus and not believe in the devil because Jesus himself believes in the devil. Amen. He taught that Satan was the prince of this world, the archon. That means that he is the chief ruler of this system of things, this current global order. He has led all of humanity astray. They've bought into his lie, and the death and the destruction and the sin and just the crazy things that you see happening in our world are not God working these things. This is the work of an enemy. It's the work of Satan in this earth, and he has sent us to counteract that, to go to war against that. Now, here's one one thought that I had yesterday, I was thinking about freedom and I was thinking about fireworks and, and Ray Charles singing America the Beautiful because I was talking to Kevin Wolfe about it. And my, I thought about even hitting a home run. But in that same, in that same process of thinking, as I'm thinking through that, thing, through that stuff, I had this thought, and I want you to understand this, is that demons enslave humans to sin. That's why they exist. Demons enslave humans to sin, destruction, and death while convincing them that the practice of such things is freedom." That's what's happening in our world today. Demons are enslaving people to sin and habitual destructive practices and even death and convincing them that the practice of those things is them getting to have their own choice. And I'm telling you right now that freedom is not you getting to choose to do what you want to do. Freedom is the spirit-empowered ability to joyfully choose God, life, righteousness, and love in the face of all obstacles. If you think choosing God death, destruction, or any of those things is freedom. You have bought into a lie of Satan. You have been deceived and you are now choosing to walk in darkness. See, true freedom is not me getting to choose what I want to choose and live in my sin. True freedom is being empowered by the Spirit to recognize that is sin that's destroying my life. But I'm no longer a slave because the blood of Jesus has set me free. And I'm now empowered by the Spirit to choose God in face of all the temptations that are coming against me. That's true freedom, and we need true freedom. Some people are enslaved. There are people sitting in here under the sound of my voice this morning, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Listen, I was once enslaved. There there was once things in my life that when I read Scripture, I said, I can't be a Christian and keep living like this. And every time I tried to quit, I only found that that chain was on the other end trying to pull away. But it took me seeking God and coming to a point where I truly repented and turned it all over to Jesus and came into agreement with Him and He unleashed the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and broke those chains. But here is the thing. Here's the thing. We are living in something, a tension, called the already and the not yet. We're living in a tension called the already and the not yet. And I say this a lot, but it's something that you've got to grab hold of as a Christian believer. Jesus has already won a decisive victory on the cross. He has defeated Satan on the cross. And when you say that, somebody will say back, It sure don't look like it, Clay. Have you looked at the condition of the world? Have you watched the news recently? Have you seen the decline of the American church? Have you even seen how some pastors act? Have you seen all of the things that are going on? It does not look to me like the devil is defeated. Now I want you to understand something and I'm going to unpack this. But Jesus, what Jesus did dealt a decisive blow to Satan. He is defeated, but you need to understand he will not put all things completely under his feet until he returns once again. But in that time between the already and the not yet he has issued his authority to a certain group of people called the church and he says now that i have defeated him i'm giving you back your god given responsibility that you forfeited in the beginning and i'm telling you you need to go out and you need to learn how to conquer yourself all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me go therefore Enforce my authority over the powers of darkness throughout the world, proclaiming the gospel to every living creature and bring those things up under the subjection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We live in the already not yet. We've not yet seen everybody healed, but one day we will. We've not yet seen all of the kingdoms of God restored and submitted to Jesus Christ, but one day. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But right now we're already through the church, we're already seeing some knees bow and give their allegiance to Jesus Christ. We're already seeing some people get set free from demonic oppression and addiction. We're already seeing some physical bodies be healed. We're already seeing some people in mental torment and anguish be set free and experience the presence of God. The church is the vessel through which the kingdom of of God is already invading the earth Amen. Right. it's already coming through folks he taught us to pray Lord your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven one day the earth will look like heaven but until that day we are called to make it look just a little bit more and just a little bit more and just a little bit more and we do that by preaching this gospel to every living soul on the planet and calling them to repentance Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15. It says that Jesus wiped out the handwriting or the certificate of debt with its requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Notice this having disarmed principalities and powers. The Bible teaches that principalities and powers, it's another name for demonic governmental officials, so to speak. In the unseen realm, there are rulers, there are authorities, there are demons that think they have power over locations, and they do because human beings gave it to them. There are principalities and powers spiritual wickedness in heavenly places that are seeking to deceive the world and bring them up under the power of darkness. But it says that he disarmed those principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now this shows the tension between the already and not yet because that word disarmed, it's past tense. It doesn't mean that we need to go disarm the devil. It means he's already been disarmed. He don't have any weapons against a true believer in Christ except his lies that he can get you to believe. If he can convince you that you have no authority, if if he can convince you that you're full of fear, if he can convince you that you need that temptation, that you need that sin in your life, and you agree with him, then you forfeit your own authority to him. But he has disarmed, and if you stand in Christ, you will walk in power over him because it says that Jesus was triumphing over him in it. And the word there is a passive verb. It's something that has happened already, but it has present-day ramifications. That very specific word that he's triumphing over Satan is a word that means triumphant procession. So here's what would happen. For example, if a king went out into another nation as the Roman Empire was expanding its borders they would go out and they would conquer another nation or another territory or another enemy. And they would go and they would take all of the high-ranking officials and before they would execute them... They would simply chain them up and walk them in behind the king that had won that victory and make them bow at the king's feet and they would bring all of the citizens of that country in to watch as these rulers and government officials bowed their knee to this king and gave them allegiance. Now they were already defeated but they were not yet executed. The citizens had to take their responsibility to go in and claim and bring order to that which was won for them by their king. Jesus has won a victory. He has chained up every demonic principality and said, Look, they're already up under my feet, but there is some territory that you need to go and claim and bring order into the chaos and bring light into the darkness. Just because I've won the victory doesn't mean it's over. I've called you to go now and enforce that victory and occupy that territory. That's what the church is called to do. He said, there's all kinds of people out there that Satan has a hold of. He's laid claim to them. But if the church is not the church, they're never going to find freedom. You're called to go into that darkness to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, to call them to repentance, to lay hands on them and pray for them and release the power of God in their life and bring them out of darkness and into this light. And by so doing, you know that when you go, Satan has no hold on you. You've got nothing to fear because you have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has created a new humanity. Jesus went to the cross. And here's the thing. We celebrate so often that when Jesus went to the cross, he died so that we could be forgiven of sin, we could be cleansed in his blood, and we could have eternal life. And thank God for that. That is the gospel. But he did not just die on the cross so that you could be forgiven of sin. He died on the cross to defeat the powers of evil so that now you could have a new authority to continue to exercise His empowerment over them. In Genesis 1, y'all know this story, right? God creates the heavens and the earth. In the midst of the chaotic darkness, God says, let there be light, and there was light. It was a world that was, it says, without form and void, and darkness was hovering over the face of the deep, and often what we see is a world and places and hearts that are without form and void and darkness is hovering over their lives. And God says it's those places where the Holy Spirit is dwelling, waiting for the church, the people created in my image, to go and speak light into that darkness. Because why? Because we are image bearers. It says in Genesis 1, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image... In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Isn't that interesting? It's funny that you read that in today's world and you get a chuckle out of it. I didn't even put this in my notes right here. The scripture says that in the last days, many shall give heed to seducing spirits they shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons when God designed us he clearly based on nature designed us male and female there's not a spectrum of genders There are two genders, male and female, that is how he designed us. And anything that attacks, I know it's designed to say that it's loving and it's caring and it's compassionate, but no, true compassion and true love and true caring is bringing the truth of God to people so that they are not enslaved to destructive lies. And so I know some people will say, well, that's hateful. No, it's the most loving thing that I can do by speaking the truth. What you are is you're swallowing a lie that is wrapped in glitter because it says that it cares and loves people. It does not love people when it doesn't bring them the truth of God's Word. There is not a spectrum of genders. There are two genders, male and female. It is how God created them. You're not a fairy. You are not a cat. And a male will never be a woman. And I'm not saying that to be funny this morning. I'm saying that because if we don't actually proclaim the truth, we allow Satan to win because his lies are proliferating in our generation. They are spreading like wildfire among our children and as hateful and as crazy as you may think I am this morning, I just feel the boldness of the Holy Spirit to say in love that we must speak the truth while those lies are running wild. We have to. You know why? Because we're the church. You think anybody else is going to do it? You think the social studies teacher that don't know God is going to do it? You think the humanities teacher that doesn't know Jesus Christ is going to do it? Somebody's going to have to tell their children what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1. Male and female, he created them. Lord, this message is going to go long. (laughs) Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Let me tell you something else. This church right here, we took that as seriously as you could take it. <laughs> I believe we've taken it upon ourselves to populate the earth in this place. There are like 47 babies over in the nursery right now, and there's 12 in here pregnant. Shauna's over here pregnant. <laughs> I'm kidding. Man, it's got wild this morning. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So notice this. (laughs) Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now notice this. This word subdue is is a very specific Hebrew word. It means to conquer or force into subjection. He says for human beings to have dominion, it's a very specific Hebrew word. It means to rule over or dominate. And so God calls his co-laborers, his image bearers, and he's saying, guys, I'm actually putting you not into... we, we, We like to think that it was a perfect world, but guess what? There was a serpent in that garden. Guess what? When it started, it says that it was without void and formless and darkness was hovering over the face of the deep. And God spoke light into the darkness and He put them in a place that represented the heavenly realm. But He said, you're going to have to protect this. You're going to have to guard it. You're going to have to keep it because there is the potential of evil outside of these gates. And you got to decide what comes in and what doesn't. And you're going to have to expand these borders and you're going to have to take dominion over the evil that's on the outside and not let that darkness come in. You're going to have to subdue and conquer through warfare. Now I know a lot of people when they get saved, they're not ready for war. They get saved and they think, man, this is just going to be easy now. I'm saved. God's going to make everything really easy. Let me tell you something. When I I was on the verge of repenting, that was when the devil turned the heat up. When he saw me moving toward Jesus, he turned the heat up on me, and then when finally I, I pursued God, I fought, I resisted, and God come and met me and set me completely free. Well, guess what? The devil still wasn't done. He still wanted to trick me. He wanted to tra- trap me and, and bring me into things that would keep me from being standing here today. He "Look, when the devil can't attack me in the daytime, you know what he does? He comes to me in my dreams." And he'll show up. I wake up the other morning, the other night, he came to me and he was attacking my dreams and trying to tell me he had access to my life. I said, Devil, I ain't getting up and taking you into the other room and speaking to you. I want you to lean in real close. And when I was laying on my pillow, I said, I'm not losing another hour of sleep listening to your lies. You get out of my mind. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been redeemed by the Lamb. I'm a child of God and greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. You have no authority over me. And I said, so if you want to, you can stay right here with me, but I'm going to sleep. Because he will attack you. And you have to discern When he is attacking, so many times I find Christians, I'm I'm counseling people, and they're not aware that what's going on in their mind is a demonic attack. They think all their thoughts are their own, all their temptations are their own, and they don't know how to use the very weapon that Jesus used against Satan when he came against his mind, the word of God out of your mouth. I know it seems crazy, I know it sounds wild, but there is a time when you're being attacked, you need to go into a private room and lock the door and tell the devil to come in with you. And say you're going to have to listen to the Word of God for a while because you're not going to stay here and torment my mind and have authority over my life. You've got none. You need to know who I am and what Jesus has done in my life and the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of me. And sometimes you have to get serious about this warfare in order to conquer. See, you have authority. I don't know if you realize that or not. Adam lost authority. Satan comes into the garden the same way he does to us and... He gives them a temptation, they buy it. They buy the lie. Sin enters the world, sickness, pain, death, destruction enters the world. And Adam forfeited his authority to Satan, which is why Satan laid claim to the entire world. In the New Testament, he's called the God of this world, lowercase g. He's called the ruler of this system of things three times by Jesus himself. It means that he is functioning and he believes that he has all rights to this earth. Now the one who has really all rights, God's sovereign over all. But he understands that God did something in creating human beings and giving them a measure of authority. So God, what he did was he became a man and in order to get back what humanity lost. In Adam, we're all in sin and we all die. But Jesus came and did what Adam did not do in facing the same temptations that Adam faced, yet... When he faced those temptations, he overcame by the word of God. He was sinless and Satan had no place in him. I'm going to give you five quick points on how Jesus restored authority to humanity. Number one, God kept his plan secret. I love it because in 1 Corinthians it says that we speak this wisdom of God that is hidden wisdom before the foundation of the world that God gave for our glory. And it says this, that had Satan and the principalities and powers known about this hidden wisdom, they would have never even crucified the Lord of glory if Satan and the demons knew what it was going to happen when the blood of Jesus was shed they would have said boys do not touch that guy I know exactly that he's destroying everything in Israel but do not touch him and do not send him to the cross because even though he's killing us right here if you let him do that he will kill all of us And it's all over and we got no more claim. We got no more authority. Secondly, demons recognized Jesus, but they didn't know why he had come. If you remember when Jesus shows up on the scene, the demons look at Jesus and they said, have you come to torment us before the time? They didn't know why he was there. They didn't understand the hidden wisdom of God, the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation. So they guess what? They help orchestrate the crucifixion. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Satan's evil and he is the author of death. And what happens is, if you remember, Judas is making plans and he's going behind the scenes. And the more he left himself open to Satan, the more he gave access to demonic powers. And what happens, it says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Satan entered Judas. And he used Judas to betray Jesus, to give him away. He orchestrated, he moved behind the religious leaders. You get that, that Satan can actually move religious leaders? He moved behind the religious leaders. He moved behind the Roman government. He moved in that mob that cried out, crucify him. Because the only thing that Satan knew, being as dumb as he was and ignorant as he was to the situation, was that this man, Jesus, even though he was God in the flesh, he was still a human. And as far as we know, he's still under the law of sin and death. And we've got the right to kill him just like any other human. He will die. And so they said, let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. But see, the next step was that Jesus was sinless and therefore not under the enemy's authority. Satan had right to humanity because of our sin. When Satan sees the sin in your life, he says, see, I've got right to them. I can claim them. They are mine. They're not yours, God. They've rebelled against you. They've sinned. I've got a right and a claim to them. But guess what? Jesus said, he has no place in me because I am sinless. So when he went to the cross, something happened because he did not deserve an accusation and he did not deserve death. But as a human being, as the last Adam when he took upon our accusations. And when he took upon our death, he broke the power of Satan's accusation and claim against all of humanity because he lost his right when he accused and killed Jesus. So now you got a choice. You can either be in Adam or you can be in Christ because the Scripture says that the crucifixion canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness and the last Adam Jesus has accomplished what the first Adam failed to do bringing about a new humanity what that means is that when Jesus died on the cross for your sins when you repent when you receive forgiveness Satan can come to you and bring up your past and he can say see I still got claim on your life and what you can say is no you do not the handwriting of ordinances and the debt of requirements that it was against me has been nailed to the cross you have no right no claim to my life no claim to my family because I've got authority over my family I plead the blood of Jesus over my family and you can come and lie to me and tell me you got a claim to me but I've been washed in the blood of the lamb so you better get out of my house and I know this sounds a little bit wild to y'all but some of you need to get serious some of y'all need to re- realize your authority and start to conquer and stop living a defeated life Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could walk around and let the devil beat you up every day and constantly be talking about how worn out you are. I get worn out just as much as the next man. We all have struggles, but ultimately we should be putting together a string of victories as we reveal the goodness of God and as we move forward in His glory. We are not backing up from the devil. We are advancing because Jesus has given us authority to conquer. The church is the new humanity. This is what it says, this same victory that Jesus won over the devil in Ephesians 1. Notice this, Paul is praying that the church would experience this. He says, I want you to know... What is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him as His right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church which is His body The fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I know that was a lot of scripture, so let me break it down for you. Jesus Christ defeated sin on the cross, he defeated Satan on the cross, and then he was raised again from the dead on the third day, defeating death. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and there is no name that is named in the earth that is now not under his feet. He says, I got authority over all of it, but guess what? I have given that authority over to my body, the church. The church now must come to realize the power, the authority that they have and walk in it in the earth because you are the body of Christ. You are the church. There's something to be said about that. You're not just a bunch of weirdos who meet on Sunday. You're a bunch of people bought by the Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God, the anointing of Christ himself is on the inside of you. Christ has been seated in the highest authority. And that means that Satan himself no longer has any authority. Can I tell you this? Satan only functions in the authority over our lives that we allow him to. Satan only dominates your life in the amount that you allow him to. Many of you, he attacks you, but you don't do what the Scripture says, which is submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Some of you, when he attacks you, You just let him play with you for days, for hours. You even agree with him. Instead of going to God's word and saying, no, that is a lie. That is not a truth. Because when Satan comes, you know how he comes? He comes in a mind fight, y'all. He comes in a mind fight. And he's trying to get you to agree with his lies about who you are, about who God is. And when you agree, you give him your authority because he has none. Now understand that. That's important to understand. Because we conquer through this authority that is given to us through the cross of Jesus. In Hebrews 2.14, I love this verse. It says that Jesus wanted to set us free from the bondage that we always experience through the fear of death. Christians shouldn't operate in the fear of death. They shouldn't function under the bondage of the fear of death. He said, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. He said he destroyed him through death, the one who had the power of death. Satan used to threaten us all the time with death. You realize that? He still threatens many of you with death. Tries to scare you to death that he's going to take. He don't have power to take your life. God's the one that gave it to you and when it's it's time to go, the Lord himself will take me and he'll send his angels to come and get me and he'll leave my dead carcass right here and he'll raise it up again whenever he comes back. And I'm so grounded in that reality of the trust that what Jesus has done when he was raised from the dead. My faith is so deeply rooted in that that my life is covered by God. I don't have to worry about death. Matter of fact, you won't come and kill me, Satan. You're only doing me a favor. I get to see Jesus. I get to see Jesus. And so he's, he comes and he tastes death for all of us. And he's saying, I've destroyed him who even had the power of death. So how do we now begin to use our authority and why are we still defeated in some areas? Because many of you, you say, well, I, I get this. And I'll even be honest with you, there's a lot of things I'm, I'm not fully developed in. There's some lies that I still believe that I'm still working through that still tend to crop up in my mind. Temptations that, that still seem to linger. And, 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 because we're right in the heat of the battle, y'all. We are right in the heat of the battle, right in the middle of it. And Satan does not want you to get rooted and grounded in this reality of who you are. And he comes with this mind fight. But I want you to understand this. In the kingdom of God, I am not fighting to get victory. I am fighting from a place of victory. I'm not fighting because I'm trying to beat the devil and he's hard to beat. No, I'm enforcing the fact that Jesus has already defeated him. Jesus has already defeated. Set me free from the power of sin, from the fear of death, from the bondage of darkness. So what Satan does is he comes and brings me a lie, and he says, Son, I will kill you. And he brings a fear of death with it, an argument. And it gets lodged in my mind. And he says, Well, it looks like they bought that one, demons. Let me send a few little spirit of fear imps over to torment you. And as long as I can get you to agree with it, you give them access. And sometimes you got to get the boldness of a line from the Spirit of God within you and say, no, the Scripture says you little demons. And let me tell you something. Most of y'all, you ain't dealt with Satan. You're dealing with little lower-level demons that are tormenting your mind. That all they need to hear is the Word of God and know that you're speaking it from a place of authority in Jesus Christ. I can't tell you the amount of battles that I've had within and without and in other people. That when at the end of the day, the word of God and the authority of Jesus Christ trumps a devil every single time. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be honest with you. This morning, I knew I was going to preach about this stuff, and you know what? I felt demonic pressure. You don't need to say these things. People will think you're crazy. I said, "Well, I knew you'd show up." He doesn't like to be exposed. He doesn't like to be exposed. He doesn't like to be reminded of the blood of Jesus. He doesn't like to be reminded of your victory over him because of what Jesus has done. This is not a battle between you and the devil. This is a battle of you realizing that it's already been won and standing in that reality and saying, I'm not coming off of this devil. You can try to convince me to come off of it. You can try to tell me I'm somebody I'm not, but I am a child of God. I have been set free. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of me. I have the mind of Christ, and I have the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit, and I'm about to cut you to pieces with it if you come around me bringing all these lies. But see, what he wants to do and what he is doing to our world is he is fighting in a mind fight. He is planning thoughts. That's why the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds doing what? Casting down imaginations and arguments and everything every lofty opinion that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When they in the world exalt these lofty opinions that go against God's word, what we're called to do is speak the truth so that we can tear those strongholds in people's minds down. Why I said what I said earlier about male and female is because strongholds are building in the minds of people in the world. And the only way that they can be torn down is to take those thoughts captive and say that's a lie and pull that down and say here's the truth of God's Word and replace it with a different thought pattern. This is where Satan battles, y'all. If he can stay hidden, he'll stay hidden and just work in your mind all day long. That's why some of you need to get up you need to start worshiping God in the morning. You need to get up before the devil gets up. Amen. You need to get up before the devil gets up and begin to worship God and pray and saturate yourself in the Spirit of God and clothe yourself in the Word and fuel yourself so that you're ready to face the mental attacks that He's going to bring in a day's time. But you've got power and authority. Matthew 10, 1, it says, When Jesus had called His 12 disciples, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. There you see the power. And in Luke 10, I love this scripture, he sends 70 out. It says in verse 17 that when the 70 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now some, people, some scholars will say this is a reference to time before whenever Satan was cast down from heaven to the earth. And some will say that Jesus is referring to the fact that as they were out there doing battle with the enemy, he was watching metaphorically Satan fall from heaven like lightning because they were enforcing the victory of Christ over those powers of darkness in human lives. And he said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. Somebody say all of the power. All All of the power of the enemy. And then he says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He says, when you know who you are in Christ, nothing shall by any means hurt you. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. Somebody be talking about a devil or a de- demon manifesting somebody. And I get it. I get it. It's weird and we've been indoctrinated by Hollywood to think somebody's going to spit up green pea juice and flow down a, a stairwell backwards. But I'm telling you, there's some weird stuff happens in certain situations, but I've never been confronted by a demon that did not ultimately bow to the name of Jesus. There ain't a one that's stronger than him. They all know it and it's about you knowing it as well. Walking in the authority that Jesus has won. I want you to remember that Satan was not put on this earth to chase us around. We were put on this earth to chase him around and conquer and defeat him. That's why the church is here. Not to say, well, we're just trying to resist the attacks of the devil. No, we're supposed to be attacking the devil. We're supposed to be reclaiming the territory that he has laid claim to. We are called to enforce his victory. Acts 2, verse 34 and 35, it says, For David did not ascend into the heavens. But he says to himself, he's saying, Look, David didn't ascend into the heavens. Jesus did. But here's what David said. He said, The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, Set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So right now Jesus Christ has ascended on high. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in all power and authority, And he says, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And right now, during this time, what he's waiting on is the church, the bride of Christ, to rise up in the power and the authority that they have been given and to enforce that victory and make those enemies Jesus' footstool. He's using the church. Christ is in his body, looking to conquer the enemy. Say, well, why didn't he just go ahead and do it? One day he will. One day he's going to be bound and there's going to be no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain. But you were designed and born to conquer. And he's got to give you this opportunity. And some of us, we want to back down in cowardice. And we want to say, well, I don't want that. I just want Jesus to end it. Well, that's not what you're called to. And you need to find that boldness, that line that's on the inside of you that says, I've got some conquering to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not let that self-pity and that weakness and that fear back you down. That is what Satan is trying to inflict upon you so that you just stay at home and waller in a corner and don't come into church and stay up under your fear and your anxiety and all those things. He's saying, no, you need to rise up in who you are in Christ and know that you are called to conquer. Matthew 16 let me give you this. The devil's primary strategy. I've already said this, but I've got it written down, so I'm saying it again. The devil's primary strategy for destruction is lies. The church conquers by believing, speaking, and living out God's truth over the devil's lies. This is why speaking the truth is so important. It's why believing the truth is so important. It's why knowing the, God's word for yourself personally is essential. It's essential. Matthew 16 Jesus answered and said to to Peter, he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you after he had called him the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, But my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I love that because guess what? I'm not building the church. It's not Clay building this. Somebody said, Well, Clay, you've done a good job with this church. I ain't building this thing. I'm partnering with the one who is. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I love this because when we read that, I remember first reading that verse and I imagine somehow in my mind Satan attacking me with gates. Do you guys realize that gates are not weapons? Gates are something that you put up to say, this is mine, I own it, and you can't come in. But no, we the church say, no, guess what, Satan? I know you laid claim to that family. I know you laid claim to that person. I know you laid claim to that city. But I am storming your gates, and your gates will not prevail against the church. We are called to advance against those things to which Satan has laid claim. And then he goes on to say, I love it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You have the keys to those gates in which Satan is saying, this is mine, and we're saying, no, we're taking it back. You ever gotten that mindset where you just said, you know, Satan, I know you took that from me. Guess what? I'm taking it back. I know you took my freedom and you brought me and enslaved me to addiction, but I'm taking back my freedom. I know you tried to take my children, but I'm taking back my children through prayer and fasting and I'm pleading the blood of Jesus over their life. If I have to, I'll anoint their shoes with oil before they get out in the morning. I'm taking back what you have stolen from me. You got to get crazy with this. Sometimes. I'm telling y'all, if some of y'all would just get a little bit crazier in your walk with God, and by what I mean by that is a little bit more real and intentional you would find that he will back down at the name of Jesus he will back down and I ain't saying it's gonna be easy I'm not saying that he will not resist you he will but you got to be ready for a fight y'all you got to be ready for a fight the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ we have the keys the most powerful person in this church is Sheb sinners over there you know why he's got all the keys We'll come up on a door. i say, Shev, I can't even get in there. <laughs> he gets you into any door you want in. He's got all the keys. I'm telling you, we have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We look at situations and we say, this should not be here. And we bind it with that key. And we kick it out and we lock the door. And we say, you know what should be here? The kingdom of heaven, the love of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we unlock the kingdom of heaven and we say, come, Lord, right here in this area. And we begin to make heaven invade the earth. Not fully already, right? But parts of it are breaking through. Parts of it are breaking through. And we have the keys of prayer and fasting, of praise and worship, of the proclaimed truth of the gospel and God's word. We have the authority of Christ. We have the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have this authority. But sometimes the problem is with these keys is that some people have some open doors in their lives that they're not willing to lock down. Some people have open doors that they're not willing to lock down. I have. You'd be surprised, actually, how many people that ask me for counsel who legitimately believe that they're dealing with something demonic. Right? So well, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah, every time they call me, I'm like, ah, we called Donald Sims right quick. <laughs> 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 uh. Me and Donald have uh, been in some situations. But here's the thing. What you need to understand is it really doesn't have to be a big deal. It don't have to be a big crazy exorcism. If you're willing to repent and you're willing to come into agreement with God's Word and break agreement that you've made with the demonic, they will leave you. Sometimes they'll leave you and not even put up a fight if you're really willing to really submit. It depends on how much you've given yourself over to a situation. I'm going to give you just five possible open doors. One of them is occultism. People playing with weird stuff, spirit boxes, Ouija boards, getting into satanic abuse and uh, rituals, all that darkness. Guess what? You are opening a door in your life that you do not want. And I've seen it more often. I've seen people be tormented for 20, 30 years that they played with something they shouldn't have when they were 10, 11, 12 years old and they never repented of it and kicked it out. False faith and false religion. Lies, demonic lies, false religion. You're opening a door. Sexual sin. You know that the scripture says that the two shall become one flesh. Biblically when a person has sex with another person, it says they shall be, in the Greek, one psyche. When you have sex with somebody, you open yourself up to everything that that person is, everything that they've been involved in, and it becomes a pattern of addiction and bondage for you. And so when there is continual or even just sexual sin, you have to repent of that, renounce it, close the door on it, and say, I'm not going to walk in that anymore. Fourthly trauma. Sadly, a lot of times what you find out is that people that have been abused and hurt, even by others, maybe there's deep unforgiveness in somebody's heart. Satan loves to take a place in a person's life in that area. Lastly, habitual sin. When you're continuing in a habitual sin and a habitual practice without repentance, without renouncing, without stopping and cutting that, then it gives the devil a place. That's what Ephesians 4.27 says. It says, do not give place to the devil. Guess what? He says that to Christians who must learn how to put off the old man and put on the new. Then he gives a list of sinful habitual practices and says don't practice these things nor give place to the devil. He's saying don't allow these habitual practices to open a door and you're wondering why you're tormented. You're wondering why you're depressed. You're wondering why, why, why all these things are going on in your life and you're uh, addicted to this thing. It's time to turn to recognize the agreements that you've made with this enemy, to repent and renounce it and break those agreements with him and say, devil, I'm done with you. I'm washed in the blood. you got to leave in Jesus' name. I know that sounds intense. You're like, Clay, you should have preached this on like a Tuesday morning or something. This is a little bit too heavy for Sunday morning. Honestly, this is elementary Christian truth. It's elementary Christian truth. Ephesians 3.10, I'm finishing up. It says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. He's saying the manifold wisdom of God is being made known by the church to the principal the angels and the demons in the heavenly places are watching the church to learn about God. What that means too, and I love this, I come up, I got this one that I put up there, God has chosen the church to be the billboard of Satan's defeat. Just let that saturate for you. I don't know if it, if it does for you what it did for me. He has chosen the church. Every time we meet together and there's somebody in here that can give a testimony of being set free by the grace of God and being saved by the grace of God and not being who they used to be, you are a billboard of Satan's defeat. You were once addicted and enslaved and chained to all kinds of habits and patterns of life and you've been set free by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are the billboard of Satan's, uh, Satan's defeat and demons and principalities and angels watch what's going on in our midst. And we're here to reveal that to them. According to Ephesians, if you read the book of Ephesians, it's got spiritual warfare in chapter six. But before you get to chapter six, he establishes you in your identity because before you know what to stand in, you got to know who you are that is standing. And leading up to Ephesians 6, he says specifically that, number one, you are adopted. You are called, predestined even. You are forgiven. You're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You're sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. You've been given all authority of Christ with all things under His feet. You have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And in Ephesians chapter 3, you are the billboard of Satan's defeat. That is your identity. You're a child of the living God. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue, even the devil's tongue, that rises up against you in judgment you will condemn because this is the inheritance of the saints of the Lord and your righteousness is of God, says the Lord. And I don't know if you feel that and sense that the way that I feel that and sense that this morning. But demons think in terms of rights. They think they have a right to be here because you've did something or you've said something. And if I'm being honest, the last dream that I had where the devil attacked me, what he was trying to convince me of is that somehow I had given him a right because he knows that I know what he knows. <laughs> so he messes with me in different ways and he messes with most people, I think, sometimes. But he was trying to convince me that somehow I had given him a legal right. And I said, you know what? Even if I have, devil, I got keys. And I'm renouncing any agreement that you even think I've made with you in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you to leave right now. You have no right to my life. I'm washing the blood of Jesus. And the blood that saved me 15 years ago is as, soon, is as good as the blood that is washing me right now. And you've got no right to my life. Whatever accusation you want to bring, I'm canceling it right now in Jesus' name. I win over the devil when Christ wins over me. I win over the devil when Christ wins over me. You want to win over the devil? Surrender your life to Jesus. Some of you be instantly set free from so many things if you'd just be willing to give up your sin and repent and say, Jesus, I'm fully yours. Some of you still holding on to a million different things, saying, yeah, I like to go to church. I like Jesus. I want to be a Christian, but I want to have this too. And the devil runs havoc in your life. And you would win over him if you just say, I'm ready to let go of that. I'm ready to surrender to you, Jesus. Romans 16, 19 through 20. It says, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil you know people will make statements sometimes because kids just say y'all know I'm old now I just found out I thought I was young but kids say some of the weirdest thing and it's usually like some kind of filthy jargon and they'll say something and I'll just repeat it because I don't know what they're saying And it'll be like clay you can't say that that's filthy you know why because I'm dumb concerning evil I'd rather be ignorant concerning evil We'll be wise unto that which is good. Let's be ignorant, simple concerning evil. And he says, and the God of peace. I love how he adds the God of peace there because he needs you to know that that confusion, that anxiety, that fear, that's not of God. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. You may be in a battle right now, but when you are standing in Jesus, you will always win the victory. And one day, no matter how many battles we face, one day we will stand and we will look down on the final blow, the final defeat of Satan as he is bound. And all sin is vanquished. All pain, all darkness is done away with. And Jesus says, no more, never again. But right now, he has called us to occupy until he comes. He has given us the responsibility as the church with the keys of the kingdom of heaven to say we're going to step out into the middle of darkness. We're going to proclaim the truth of God's word. We're going to let people hear the gospel who have not heard about Jesus. We're going to call them to repentance and we're going to walk alongside of them and make disciples of them. And as they walk, they will be set free from the powers of darkness. They will be set free from the powers of darkness. So I want you to bow your head right now. We're going to to surrender to this thing together corporately. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you're ready to yield, you're ready to surrender, you're ready just to experience simple salvation. Right there in your seat, you can pray a prayer with me. And I want everybody to pray this because sometimes, you know, when you pray a prayer of salvation, it's not a prayer that saves you. I tell you all the story about how I prayed the prayer of salvation a thousand times and nothing ever changed. But there are moments when you mean something from your heart, when you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that there's power in His blood, and you confess with your mouth from your heart that He is Lord of your life. That makes the demons tremble. So I want you to just pray with me right there at your seat. Jesus, I believe You shed Your blood for my forgiveness and my salvation. I confess my sin to you and I receive your forgiveness now. I want you to say that to him out of your mouth. Use your authority. You use your authority when you speak it out of your mouth. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I forgive anyone who has sinned against me. I release them to you now. And any agreement that me or my family has made with darkness, I renounce it now in Jesus' name. I repent of it, Lord. I put it behind me. And I stand in the authority that Christ has given me as a child of God. Jesus was punished, and I am forgiven. Jesus was wounded, and I am healed. Jesus became sin, so I am righteous. Jesus was rejected, so I am accepted. I am redeemed from every curse every curse is broken over my life and because of the blood of Jesus Satan you have no authority over my life your power is broken and you must go in Jesus name Lord God your thoughts define me your spirit lives inside of me fill me now with your love with your power with your goodness and anoint me to move forward and advance your kingdom in jesus name in jesus name